Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Excited to host my first podcast. This is Gayatri. Ever wondered if it's possible to have multiple careers and successful one at that? In today's episode, we are talking to Chitra, my colleague from PM Power Consulting. We are talking about her exciting career journey, starting in avionics and moving towards protecting the enterprise infrastructure. She also talks about her transformation from telling leader to a facilitative leader. She talks about the wonder of networks and volunteering in organizations. And we talk about all the career changes in which a rhythm is created at a macro level. Hello, good morning, Chitra. Welcome to the Software People's Stories podcast. It's an honor uh, to be your host and it's nice to see the tables turn. Thank you, Gayatri. Very good morning to you. It's wonderful that you uh, agreed to be a partner, a co-co-host on the Software People Story. So a very warm welcome to you as a host too. Co-host. I, I love that word. Thank you so much. And uh, I wanted uh, you to start, uh, you know, what are the various uh, uh, careers that you have held in, in your various roles in your long career that I, I think it will be great to glimpse for our uh, listeners okay so uh, while people you know often talk about career as a fairly programmatic path for most people or even uh, it appears to be that a lot of people think of career as uh, some sort of a climbing of a ladder uh, yes to a lot of people it is also a journey with uh, really no destination in mind and uh, I sort of put myself in the second category. Uh, when I look back, especially now, and I started my career as a software developer in avionics uh, software, uh, that to me was, everything was new because I had a background in electronics engineering. Okay. And this was computer science or programming to be more specific. And even the programming language that I first learned and literally on the job was ADA. Oh. That itself was, I'd say, the start of a career all by itself. Just learning the constructs of programming, things like data structures, uh, everything from being on the job rather than it being taught, I think was a very different experience by itself. So I'd say the start of my career was also the start of me beginning to learn 
from the ecosystem around me. Okay. Uh, I was lucky in the sense to have good mentors, good teachers in the workplace that comprised of students who were still interning at the company that I started with and experienced scientists who came from a lot of the DRDO labs. So for me, I feel very lucky to have had these people at the start of my working career okay. uh, to be able to teach, guide and actually help me understand the uh, nitty gritties of how to develop software, how to integrate code, how to test code and ultimately create a working solution or a product. Wow, what so, an awesome way to start your career. <laughs> I really think so too, that was great. It also helped me begin to start my own exploration. So this is one shift that I saw in myself from being someone who was always taught something, which okay. is also largely how our educational institutes operated at that point in time was you were taught something, you learned it, and then you kind of prepared for an exam and you qualified yourself. Okay. Uh, but one thing I always enjoyed was uh, working in the lab, you know, setting up experiments and things like that. So to me, my career, I realized ha always had to have an element of experimentation and exploration and discovery okay. along with delivery. So the first part of my career being in a research center for about three or four years was a lot on experiments, exploration and discovery. Uh, so from ADA, for example, I began picking up uh, how to program in using Java and okay. the concepts of object-oriented programming with when UML made its appearance as a, an approach to designing software. Right, right. I, modeling language. I remember yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, taking this with me, I sort of embarked on a second journey with a very different organization, a product company, and into systems engineering. And then I think I started looking or understanding about actually how platforms and systems work. So looking at learning about operating systems, file systems, and the whole networking stack, if you will. Okay. Uh, that was what I'd say was the next part of my career journey. It almost sounds like that OS layer, uh, the first five of them you were experimenting in the second part of your career. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> to, to a large extent, yes. All right, all right. So, uh, but, but the, and the second part uh, of my career was probably the first time I got into active project and product delivery. So really understanding that there are people out there that are using your product, how an entire infrastructure for an organization was built out of a collection of products. Okay. Starting from you know, the operating system that keeps everything running and the applications on top of it that were serving various needs. So in this company, there was the server, the, the file servers, the operating system, and perhaps looking at you know, the early days of how identities were managed and also how firewalls were built. So in a sense, it was a glimpse 
into how the tech infrastructure of a company was sort of laid out. People were running applications to run the business. Uh, people were concerned about the security of their uh, data centers and their data, uh, which meant uh, understanding firewalls, understanding minds of hackers or malicious attacks, beginning to understand patterns okay. in programming and software, but also okay. an understanding of actually, for the first time, empathy for a user. Uh, right, and right, typically right. The, the users that we were addressing were uh, either CIOs or uh, IT heads, people who were helping to run the IT infrastructure for various companies. Okay. Wow. The cybersecurity was uh, quite popular even then. I think uh, today you think that's the buzzword. So, right. I know. It, it was, I think, very popular. It's funny, you know, how uh, holes or weaknesses in an interconnected world reveal themselves. So some of them were just bad programming where you could cause you know, stack overflows, then bring whole servers down and, and then entire infrastructure down. Once people, I think, started understanding the power of how people were using the internet or developing personas and usage profiles, uh, that led to different kinds of attacks or hacks. Or, and the whole security piece has now evolved to a stage where it's become so critical. It's one thing to be out there, but it's another thing to watch yourself and your footprints and your identity in the interest of safeguarding <laughs> your company. <laughs> yeah. It has become center stage today. Uh, you start uh, designing for your security right at the get-go, rather than that becoming an afterthought and doing only security testing late in the stage right now, which is a great development. So you move from a exploration, a discovery, to a actually empathy-driven developer to uh, you know understand continuously getting feedback and as well as understanding how your personas work. Yes, and, mm -hmm. and actually moved into system testing, which okay. uh, was even more challenging because you had to create or replicate environments which are very similar to customer environments. Developing or building on the user empathy aspect, this was an organization that encouraged us a lot to listen on support calls. So this was first-line support actually listening to customers like large banks, oil and gas suppliers, telecom people who were calling in to report certain issues. The fact that the software that you're building could manifest into issues on the ground in so many different ways itself was a sort of grounding or a very you know, leveling experience yeah. in itself. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you see the size of it. It also makes you be more inspired to go the next day, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and uh, the meaning of the word quality and building in quality took on a very, very different understanding. So all of a sudden, there was a switch in the mind with respect to how you approach even designing a test environment in such a way that uh, you want to ensure that you are delivering the best out there. This whole second career shift with respect to empathizing more with end users and also I would say a very key shift for me and probably got me thinking on the lines of moving into management was I, I really enjoy working with people and a strong believer in more minds put together can solve a problem better. So 
being exposed to diversity of thought, diversity of ideas, just to get a better product out there. In Agile world, we keep talking about collaboration and bringing people together. I think uh, a lot of organizations have been doing it without tagging it really with a brand or a, it was their way of working in itself imbibed into the culture, right? Absolutely. And, and that's what I think we all see when we also transition from, let's say, being a individual contributor or mm -hmm. a developer to roles in management. And very honestly, as a first-time manager, I think I felt that I needed to tell the team what to do and that they were looking to me for direction. That is also a sort of transition yeah. in my career where I realized that, hey, uh, can I shift to being from being a more telling person to being a little more facilitative? And yeah. uh, then just sitting back and observing the flow of ideas and thoughts the best out there to solve a problem and doing it collectively rather than saying that okay the manager says do this and therefore do it yeah and uh, this also ties into the teamwork right i uh, i doesn't exist in a team for a principle we often refer to right uh, absolutely in yeah. fact uh, you know one thing that uh, the thought just that just came to my mind here and probably realized it somewhere in the middle of my career was i started off you know at a very young age playing basketball and okay. one was there was no space for personal glory mm -hmm. it was about working together as a team and you know finding your rhythm as a team yeah and that takes months if not years you instinctively know how a person runs or how a person moves is the best position that a person plays in and how do you help that person get there to actually take that shot knowing that the probability of making the sh converting the shot is higher from that individual's position of strength so played out somewhere in the middle of my career is i think the first realization of that came in while interviewing candidates when uh, you know you begin to shift your thinking towards what is it that this person can bring to the table? What is it that I can uncover in a 45-minute or one-hour conversation during an interview mm -hmm. so that I am able to give this person the best opportunity rather than, uh, do you know this, do you know this? Yeah, the a personal touch that comes through, right? It's not just about, you know, what are the accomplishments that person has had, but also is this person going to be a team player? Is this person going to be an asset to the organization instead of being a plain hero so very true yeah the rhythm in the team mm -hmm. i think finding rhythm uh, in fact i was just listening to a podcast recently that talked about how babies as young as a year old are able to find the rhythm with each other so the experiment was something like a group of researchers mm -hmm. actually brought in about eight or 10 babies, all in the age group of 12 to about 16 months. Okay. And uh, they began to play, they strapped the babies onto themselves face forward and they began to play music. So they played a couple of different kinds of music. Some of it was uh, uh, peppy and more like dance music. And the other was, uh, it had a rhythm to it. Okay. You know? 
And uh, after a couple of minutes, they put the babies down and the babies were playing and they observed something very interesting. They found that these babies were actually beginning to help each other play or find something or build something or pick up a toy. And their hypothesis that as communities and as people and as part of society, we, we need to find a rhythm. And once the rhythm sets, we sort of naturally begin to help and collaborate with each other. So, in fact, after listening to this is when I sort of reflected back on how, you know, we talk about uh, the formation of themes in stages of, you know, storming, forming, norming and performing. And I think it's all about a team finding its rhythm. And once it reaches that certain stage, things begin to happen. People begin to work together. And I think people give their best to sort of deliver the best products possible. What are your thoughts on that, Gayatri? When, when you're talking to me about uh, rhythm, one of the things that I clearly think of is I recently heard this uh, uh, video from A.R. Rahman on Kalam where he talks about how uh, the boat race, Vallamkali, that boat race that happens in um, Kerala, which everything is around their rhythm. And uh, all they do is they actually practice with only the, the rhythm in their head. And uh, they, they keep uh, keep that in their mind and then that kind of steers together. In, in a race, back to the sports, right? If you don't have that, if all of us are in a different mode, it, it leads to completely dissonance, right? I think that is a very, very important thought of saying we are in a, any of these uh, uh, wavelengths. If you're if you are from EC, when you're saying, okay, if you're all from different wavelengths, you're actually you know, negating each other. While if we are all in the same wavelength, they are actually amplifying effect happens. Just like how we're talking about in a multiplier. I will, I'm very thrilled to hear, have this conversation because all these are connecting bits of it. No, it's, it's, it's funny you brought that up because when I was just trying to figure out, hey, what shall we talk about today? The interconnectedness of things was, was something that actually came to my mind. And, you know, I know we are talking about multiple careers. We're talking about rhythm and teamwork. We're talking about basketball. Each one of these is mini career experiences for me. Very true. You know? Very true. Yeah. <laughs> so even moving from management to senior management to entrepreneurship, yeah. right? And even at this stage, uh, as I'm working with PM Power as a, as a coach and training and consulting, I'm already curiously wondering what my next career would be. You talked about continuous learning. You know, in some sense to me, continuous learning, a function of curiosity and many other things, also can give rise to new careers. So why stick on to a single career? It just gives you that much opportunity to explore and discover and experiment and you know live interesting life it's after all one life right yes. <laughs> i try different things and uh, this is uh, this is also back to uh, earlier uh, when organizations grew like 50 percent or 100 percent it mm. made sense to have a ladder or a you know the invisible ladder going up but when uh, actually when uh, at least in technology deepening rather than widening in terms of using AIML, using uh, various deeper technologies, including deep learning for that matter, I think it makes sense to try exploring new technologies as well as new careers to keep ourselves motivated as well as keep ourselves engaged in many different facets. 
kind of opens up different facets or different careers in our life contributes to continuous learning and i think more importantly at least what i find happening with me mm-hmm. is continuous learning about myself and uh, that in some ways is helping me want to do better for yeah. uh, the people that i'm working with so very often this was something that uh, you know if i can contrast with working in a very monotonous way this is a topic for another day is how to break out of complacency or monotony you know i very often find myself not wanting to wake up and face the day or even go to work that's very a very different situation today where when i come back in the evening after a day spent with a client i'm very refreshed to wake up the next day morning and say hey we talked about these areas what is it that i can explore with them to see if i can you know bring something to the table that may be helpful that's a shift that i'm seeing in this new career with my own mindset i'm also trying to see how i can encourage people to look at it that way is that you know don't get bogged down by the fact that you were not able to accomplish something or achieve something at the end of the day but uh, just calmly take it away as a problem and maybe sleep over it and a lot of people tell us if you sleep over something you're likely to wake up finding an answer and <laughs> uh, the conscious mind is a yes. lot more powerful right <laughs> so yeah in fact that brings up uh, mm-hmm. an interesting point to say is sometimes you know, things around us just conspire to help us find the solution if we don't really think about it too much but <laughs> but sort of stay with it and examine it from different angles look at it from different perspectives so multiple ways of problem solving yeah in fact uh, one of the uh, you know hardest book i've read is this uh, slow thinking and fast thinking where uh, he he actually uh, the economist he actually talks about and try to remember his name i think daniel kenman um, he actually the uh, talks about all of us are wired to do slow thinking as well as fast thinking slow thinking is a lot more deeper and you spoke about you sleep over something and then you get back to it right that's where slow thinking really works and uh, he talks about fast thinking more of uh, you know uh, just get it done get it done kind of a thing so very very uh, cool uh, way of you know connecting it so chitra coming uh, to your uh, different careers right lot of uh, women uh, leaders as well as uh, entrepreneurs want to understand when do they start becoming uh, their startup because lot of us are bound with multiple ideas right we see something our creative mind goes into the overdrive and says okay hey this is something that you know could happen how can we make it more a productized and uh, launch it to the market what was that you know for, you know in point if you will when you said okay hey i'm going to start it. when to start i would say any time is a good time to start mm-hmm. because these these are questions that i also battled with i mean along with the highly creative thoughts that kept coming saying mm-hmm. what made me start was the frustration of not starting uh, okay. and, and and having being a prisoner of my own thoughts and uh, why i say that the time is now to start is uh, otherwise you will just never it will just remain ideas in your mind and uh, at least a frustration point for me was i would get those ideas you know while i'm probably driving somewhere or i am you know working in the garden or in the kitchen and then by the time i finished doing what i was doing i would have forgotten those ideas so 
So I said, I am forgetting. I am constraining myself with my own set of thoughts. Why not just start? Any time is a good time to start. Awesome, awesome. Saying that if you are more frustrated or if you want to really, really start, that's the right time to start. That way, you know, that way you have a fire in the belly and saying, yes, I want to do it. So what were your you know, initial problem statement if you when you started off? So after I quit, I actually consulted with a data analytics company for about a year, okay. which was all about working in an experimental mode. Uh, because problem statements were there, uh, but the solutions were unknown on both sides. So it was co-creating what the solution could be and working towards it. So that also sort of gave fuel to my initial thought, which was there is dearth of product-like thinking in a lot of people who have ideas. And how can we help them get from idea to execution or an idea to a product. Uh, my, my experience of about a year with these folks sort of gave me the confidence and more meat to my idea to sort of say that, hey, yes, there is a way of helping people who are actually looking to work on that idea and how to take it to market, etc. That sort of gave the impetus to start this venture. Okay, okay. To product strategy and product management consulting. Okay. Wow. And uh, the other area that uh, we also looked at was digital transformation. And, and the idea or the motivation there was traditional businesses are also looking to go digital. They have some idea of what it means to go digital, but how can we help them really get to where they want to be so that it has a more positive impact, a more positive outcome on their business. Very, very cool. So, uh, in fact, one of the, when you're talking about it, I'm remembering the book by uh, C.K. Prella, who spoke about co-creation as a way to go in the future. Uh, if you look at it, even Nike shoes are being co-created by the consumers, uh, where the volume has uh, moved towards one, where it is all co-created, based on individual specification as more and more offers wants customization more than the mass manufacturing. So three things I'm hearing. One is fire in the belly. You want to start. Second is, you know, the area in which you have specialization, right? And the third is uh, what is really the market needs. So a lot of organizations need digital transformation. I have specialization. I want to do it. I think this is your, I really love this way of, you know, looking at it as your Aikigai. And that's your, you know, area in which you try. Very, very cool, uh, uh, Chitra. You've, you've tied it together brilliantly, Gayatri. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is you. <laughs> I think we're co-creating something very interesting here. You know, maybe we should actually look at creating maybe a small series of podcasts on just this natural conversations and can it then lead to something that is helpful to people and I can already see it happening. Yeah, and definitely. I think that's a, that's a great area of, you know, we can start a, a mini series around it. I actually am fresh out of a GHCI conference, three days of extremely energetic set of people with 6,000, you know, minds, brilliant minds. Levels of innovation was like unthinkable uh, set of innovation, right from AI being used for cancer research 
to agriculture being benefited from iot so i i was super energetic from that i want to hear from you uh, how has your association been with women empowerment gti for 10 plus years wow i while you were saying it i can <laughs> imagine what you must have experienced and it makes me feel happy that it has sort of the same that it has been since 10 years I still remember in 2009 when a motley group of us came together I think we were about 14 15 of us and we sat for a whole day in one I think it was in the Google office simply to first of all understand what this conference was all about and then figure out hey what is it that we can do and how can we bring it together you know that year it was 600 attendees probably four tracks that we could manage people came away feeling exactly what you felt and okay. you know just at this conference dinner i heard somebody say that the jhci has been a place where you hear about a technology people talk about it and 3 years later hey it's there in the market it's almost been a breaker or it's been the point where the news is broken first apart from that i think in terms of empowering people or even i have not seen such a large volunteer group that has come together to create and curate and help deliver a conference like this and every year i think more and more uh, at least when i was working with a with a company that was actively sponsoring the conference Mm-hmm. I found myself encouraging the women engineers within the organization to at least you know submit papers submit your ideas submit your thoughts don't worry whether it will be accepted or not if it's something that is going to be part of the conference or meant to be it will be up there and uh, you know really happy to say that thanks at least to the number of submissions that went in every year we had at least one speaker from the company there and that was so empowering for this individual yes to be able to stand there and talk about their you know their idea their work and network with others so many people true in fact it's very uplifting it's becoming a big movement by itself and a lot of confident speakers confident leaders i see emerging emerged as well as continuous present right emerging i think uh, uh, i i i i came out with lot of respect for the 10 plus years of uh, you know volunteering that you have done like you mentioned mm-hmm. it became a catalyst for uh, innovation of sorts uh, very similar uh, things happened in in the organization that i was working with as well as in other places you know people came back and said how can we get this going in fact it resulted in uh, you know internal tech fests happening in a lot of companies that i saw yes. which were uh, led and driven by women and mm-hmm. in fact uh, one of the outcomes of this some people who came away really motivated from these conferences started the you know women's hackathon groups in their organizations and today they are, they have actually grown it to an organi- organizations like women who code mm-hmm. and regular meetups that happen here for you know women techies and so, specific technologies also there are, are yes. i mean ruby rails women who code lots of you know very specific uh, ones are there in fact when i was speaking to my niece who came from us she saying how oh, stem is a big thing and uh, very few women are in stem i was like really 
here actually it's not true <laughs> a lot of women there maybe we have lesser uh, uh, women as we go higher in the leadership front but uh, at the starting or in the college as well as in the initial 6 to 8 years india doesn't have that culture of you know differentiation or discrimination in itself which is a great thing right yes and i think this time the leader of the conference also acknowledged that saying that we don't have this issue and 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 i distinctly remember uh, nascom actually providing us the data saying that we do not have these issues here mm-hmm. and we also inherently instinctively know it because you go you talk to any high school children here and particularly girls they are not shy about uh, or they are not hesitant to take up any of the stem field subjects they are in fact very comfortable with it they are curious want to explore more about it and even i would say even in educational institutions it is touching the 50-50 ratio in almost all disciplines yeah uh, related to stem fields from a stem appreciation and uh, adoption standpoint at least i think we are we're in a good place i would say uh, tying it back to our career changes a lot of women were talking about how they have also been changing their careers based on where they are in their 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 whole life where it is they have changed their career and then you know they have done a back and forth so that that's being very adaptive it's very inspiring to hear uh, one of the keynote speakers uh, from bnb mellon he was the head of hr he spoke about how as a, a man he also has done it and we keep going that it's women actually it's not true all <laughs> oh, everybody goes through this change and it is kind of amplified and if you feel for women but it is there at every level and every person there's a lot of people that i hear talking as well as doing now mm-hmm. uh, especially as we are get into our 40s and 50s and mm-hmm. 60s of doing just different things creating different careers for for themselves which i think is very wonderfully liberating and empowering because then you're not bound by uh, saying that i only need to do this now that i have chosen this as my career this is my only path there's nothing wrong in it but yet the fact that so many people are doing different things at different points in time in their lives is is something that's just fantastic it is quite liberating in terms of you know saying hey uh, um i can i can make a choice and the the, the choice can only be for a uh, for a near term or a short term and then i can keep changing my direction and move on from there this is yeah. fantastic it's been excellent uh, talking to you chitra and i feel i have i have come off knowing a lot from now about you more than what i knew already i hope listeners will too thank you gayatri i i share the same sentiment about having had this conversation with you i think it it's been mutually a really wonderful experience thank you thank you so much if you like this episode please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network if you would like to share your story contact us at podcast at pm hyphen powerconsulting.com